What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Opperman Report. Every Friday night, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, and also simulcast on uh, cjmarsradio.com and 365 Live. Uh, by next week, we'll also be on Spreaker. We'll be doing a live show on Spreaker as well during this time, and hopefully we'll be approved for um, iHeartRadio uh, by next week. Um, and then you can catch us during the week. We're on awakeradio.us and Firehorse uh, uh, Radio, a whole bunch of stuff. Okay. Oh, hey, first thing I want to do is I want to uh, really salute uh, our sponsor, um, Amanda from Pacific West Bamboo, uh, because uh, one of our guys, one of my uh, staff producers, Keith Davis, um, up there in Oregon, who's a really cool guy. He's a, a street protester. He's an activist. He's dedicating his life uh, for, to fight for uh, social justice. And, uh, and all these kinds of things. And anyway, he, had, he was down for the count. He had a collapsed lung. And uh, our sponsor, Amanda, at Pacific West Bamboo at 503-839-8126, uh, stepped up to the plate and uh, got our man, uh, got him a place to stay and uh, got him some help and, uh, so he can recuperate well. And, she, and she's helping to nurse him back to, to health here. Uh, so I really want to uh, give blessings and thanks to uh, Amanda from uh, Pacific West Bamboo, our number one sponsor. Okay, okay. Now we have a really big guest tonight. We have uh, former Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney, former presidential candidate, uh, author. She's soon to be a doctor. Uh, I was just talking to her about writing some prescriptions for me when she gets her doctorate. <laughs> okay, but uh, we got Cynthia McKinney coming on in a second. And I know everybody's tuning in too. They want to see what's going on with the, with the big John B. Wells Caravan to Midnight broadcast that we've been working on all week long. Uh, and I'm going to have an announcement uh, about that uh, later on in the evening So, because I don't want to waste any time uh, with our guest tonight, Cynthia McKinney. Uh, but we'll be getting into that whole uh, uh, John B. Wells situation. Now, at the 6 o'clock hour, we have Cisco Streetlove, who is the author of Yesterday's Shame, The Atlanta Child Murders. And uh, we may get uh, Cynthia McKinney to stick around with us and also to, uh, to ask some questions of Cisco. So, uh, Cynthia McKinney, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I just had to unmute. <laughs> okay, good. We're having so many Skype problems. I just had a little heart attack there. I said, oh, no. <laughs> Cynthia, welcome back to the show. I got to tell you something. The last time when I had you on, I watched all your videos of you in Congress there, you know, with these hearings. And I was so afraid of you, man. I, I said, what am I getting into? This is one tough woman, man. But as soon as I met you, I tell you, I fell in love with you. And, and God bless you, Cynthia McKinney. So, 
Well, thank you so much for that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I tell you, we're, you're, we're, you got a big fan here. So tell us, um, now, uh, first of all, I hear you got some books coming out, and you just wrote a chapter in another book. What, what books are they? Okay, I've, I've already written, and they have been published, two books. The first book is The Illegal War on Libya, and that book has been out a, at least a year now. Um, and then the second book, maybe even two years, and then the second book is Ain't Nothing Like Freedom. It's more autobiographical. And I just got an, um, a review on the I Illegal War on Libya book that said that it was the book to read for the anti-imperialist point of view. So basically what I did in that book was I invited people who had been to Libya, were old Libya hands, um, and I invited them to write about Libya prior to the... Um, the um, uh, bombing. And then, if you remember, I took a group of journalists to Libya, and those journalists, um, some of them contributed to the book, and that was the section uh, Libya during the bombing. So we had Libya before the bombing, Libya during the bombing, and then we um, had some of the writers write about what Libya was like after the bombing. So it's quite comprehensive in terms of um, the variety of writers and then the perspective, the longer-term perspective of what was actually destroyed, which the, the people of the United States and those who are subjected to U.S. propaganda never, ever heard in the um, more corporate-oriented media. I hear you, you know, and all we hear about is Benghazi, Benghazi, Benghazi. When people don't, most, I, I would say that 99% of the people who utter the word Benghazi have no clue that we overthrew that government and killed their, their, their leader, their, their loved leader, you know, that, that the people loved over there. Well, you know, I, I think I could muster up a bit of love if I had free health care anywhere in the world, if I had an, a, a, a malady that could not be treated inside Libya, then the Libyan government would fly the patient as well as the patient's family anywhere in the world to get treated. Free education. So if you're a talented Libyan, and you're working on your PhD, then, um, and you're talented enough to get into the Sorbonne, for example, or the London School of Economics, for example, then your family and you, the student, get flown to the university, the site of the university, your, your housing, living expenses for the entire family paid and the government of Libya pays for the tuition as well. 
Can you imagine? And that that doesn't even begin to cover the um, the uh, uh, I guess you, the, the the benefits of citizenship at home. And I had one young Libyan say to me, "Well, we really didn't have anything to do. Uh, it was very boring because." We could go to school. I went to a Libyan campus. The students didn't even know what tuition was. They didn't know the word. Can you believe it? Well, what's it like there now? Well, you know, it ain't wait, like now that. We've, that. Wait, now that we've brought them democracy <laughs> and freedom. <laughs> right. And the next thing, you know, so here you have a country that has no external debt. And now there's, they're mired in debt, just like the United States. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. It's horrible. This is not a fate to be wished upon anyone. But I think it's very clear what is happening now. And you mentioned Benghazi. Yeah. Now, my idea about Benghazi is just a, a gut feeling that I have. But I believe that what was happening in Mexico with Fast and Furious is exactly what was happening in Benghazi, arming the U.S. mercenary force so that it could not only continue the destruction of Libya, but carry the fight surreptitiously into Syria. And... um I think we have some evidence for that now with the emergence of ISIS. Right. Well, well let me ask, now that, that looks so suspicious that all of a sudden in Iraq, there's a, a, a jihad or a militia or a, whatever they're calling the militants that have American jeeps, American helicopters, American, how, how does that happen overnight? Well, you know, one of the things that I think it's very important for us to understand, um, sort of in the strategic, uh, um, uh, with a strategic view of what's happening, this is what is happening has been described before. This is not a secret. Right. And it, 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 um, has its basis, in fact, in the most recent iteration of it was a posting. It's an anonymous posting in a publication, which is also online read by Pentagon people. And it was called uh bloodlines, I believe. And the, the bloodlines posting also posted a map of how Western Asia and Northern Africa would look after um, the United States used its military wherewithal in order to change the boundaries. And what it looks like is strikingly similar to... Ed, are you there with yeah, me? Oh, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I'm listening. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm hanging you, on every word, yeah. Okay, what it looks like is strikingly similar to the Yanon plan, which was written 
by Oded Yanon and published in an academic journal. Now, the subtitle of the Yanon plan was a uh, strategy for Israel in the 1980s. The Yanon plan looks strikingly similar to the Project for a New American Century plan that was entitled um, uh, A Clean Break, a strategy for Israel into the 1990s. And the both of the plans had similar outcomes. And what were those outcomes? The dismantling, the dismemberment of all of the countries. Iraq breaks into three countries. Syria breaks into three countries. Uh, Saudi Arabia is um, amputated. Yemen's borders are changed. Pakistan's borders are changed. The creation of Baluchistan. Uh, Afghanistan's borders are changed. And so uh, Turkey's borders are changed. So this an entire region is changed. And this is done specifically as a pro-Israel strategy. Now, now what wait, is wait. it? Isn't that the same uh, 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 leak that, that General Wesley Clark came out with and said, hey, this is our plan to destabilize the whole region, have seven wars going on at once? Well, now that is also what General Clark said. And um, what General Clark also, uh, in that same speech that he gave to the Commonwealth Club, what he also said was he learned this back in 1991 from Paul Wolfowitz, who said we can act, we meaning the United States, but really the United States acting on behalf of Israel, right. can act all the way up militarily, can act militarily all the way up to the, at that time, Soviet border and the Russians will not respond. So the, uh, the lesson was drawn that the United States can act almost with impunity right up to the Russian border. The Russians will not respond likewise. And therefore, the United States had a free hand in order to um, implement, to begin the implementation of the Yanon plan, which is the same thing as the project for a new American century, a clean break. I invite the um, uh, audience to read these plans so they can see for themselves. Don't rely on what I'm saying. Read the Yanon plan. That's Y-I-N-O-N. And then the project for a new American century, a clean break. And then this most uh, this additional um, uh, article from the military is called Bloodlines. Well, what about now in the Ukraine? It seems like the, the Russians aren't uh, putting up with us over there. Well, now the interesting thing, uh, going back to the Russians, is remember that the 
Russians and both the Chinese, despite the fact that they had good relationships with Libya, allowed right. the Libya debacle to take place. And I have called the Russians on it whenever I've been in their presence. And one Russian ambassador explained to me, he said, Cynthia, it, we, we didn't have, we, we had a different president at that time. And if you recall, Libya happened under Medvedev. And so Medvedev ostensibly was calling the shots with a different ideology. I can't imagine that Putin took a back seat, but Putin did not have the uh, final say-so. But now you've got Putin there. And when this was threatened on Syria by utilizing the same mechanism you had for the first time in the history of the United Nations, the double veto with both Russia and China vetoing the no-fly zone. But what do you think now? It looks like we're going to be going back into Iraq. Well, I don't think the United States ever left Iraq. Right. And um, I just posted something on my Facebook page, which is Cynthia McKinney official. And in order to get to the rights Facebook page, you got to remember my name plus official. But I, I just posted something reminding the people who are on my page of the fact that the United States built the uh, almost a billion dollar embassy, the world's largest embassy. It's larger than Vatican City. I've visited Vatican City and that's kind of big. And our, the U.S. embassy is larger than Vatican City. And so I asked the question on my Facebook page, is this an office of representation or is this another occupation? The United States never left Iraq. Right, yeah, it's sort of like a military base there because it is so huge. Like you said, they have movie theaters, they have a, a mall, they have, you know, it's like, yes, it's, like a, it's, it's a city, yeah. That's right, and and what should be offensive to every uh, U.S. citizen is that our tax dollars have been spent to uh, make an oasis of of um, McDonald's dumb in the middle of something that um, has been totally destroyed. And if you re recall in the article, the, the several articles, but it, it doesn't have to be a situation of total destruction because the general situation of State Department uh, ambassadors is that they all remain uh, safely cocooned inside the elite that they are always trying to install in power and, and never go out into the countryside and see and experience the actual life of the people of that country because, that, of course, that's the, the farthest thing from what the purpose of U.S. foreign policy has become. The thing that is so offensive is that this is all being done on our dime in our name, and yet um, 
the people of the United States are, I don't know if it's willful blindness or if it's um, um, malevolent imposed ignorance. I know what you're saying, and I, I, I go back and forth on that myself. Um, but it, it seems to be the media can just, at the drop of a dime, they can turn and come up with this whole story. And now we have this whole story about ISIS and all this stuff like that. Uh, now, what do you think is going on with that? Now, how could this suddenly, <laughs> this, this huge force come together suddenly and have all this U.S. military equipment? Well, now, if you look at this template, and that's what this is, it's a template. Um, we've, we've seen this happen all over the African continent with success. So now why would they not take it into the West Asian region? And that's exactly what they have done. So you arm these people, you pay them, and uh, you tell them, go kill. And interestingly, rather than the moral compunction kicking in, uh, they go and kill. And so um, they, they, they uh, live up to the transaction that has taken place. So now all of a sudden you've got this organization called ISIS. And so ISIS is now Al-Qaeda. Everyone understood that Al-Qaeda as the uh, foreign minister of the United Kingdom, Robin Cook, initially told us that Al-Qaeda was nothing more than the CIA's Rolodex. So now you've got to come up with a new boogeyman that will allow for the further entrenchment of the police state inside the United States, the erosion of any uh, of civil liberties that are left, the complete uh, shredding of the Constitution inside the United States, and um, subjecting the people of the United States to fear, to a, a constant state of fear so that they will be afraid so that then the imposition of the police state and the militarization of the police will be furthered. In addition to the waging of the war, the justification for waging of wars that enriches the 1% against the interests of the 99% literally and that's globally so you so you've got this organization that follows exactly the template of the way africa has has remained neutered it domestically as well as its international presence and it's fascinating too because i remember as a kid the gi joe cartoons the, the 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 terrorist group he fought against was called I ISIS. <laughs> you know? Like they just pulled it out of their bag of tricks, you know, thirty years later. Um, okay, and see I didn't even I, I wasn't even aware of that. So there there it goes. Yeah, it's all so uh elaborate. Their their conditioning and their but, mind control of it is just so elaborate. But but, but then now, again, Yeah, go ahead. But but now look at what is being projected as a result of ISIS. What's being projected is the dismemberment of the territorial integrity of the state of Iraq. And that is exactly what the Yanon plan, PNAC, and bloodlines envision. So once you see it there, 
then you have to understand that this is part of the larger plan. And this is the mechanism, this is the means by which those who are calling the shots and are able to send young boys and girls, these, these people who are in the uh, U.S. military, these new enlistees are um, people who could be my child. Mm. And I see them at the airport and I look deep into their faces. I look into their eyes. I see that these are mere babies. And yet we're deploying them in order to destroy another person, another, another country. Let me hit you with this. Okay. Now we see in Africa, the Middle East, that the, the policy is destabilization arm these different groups and have them all shooting back and forth at each other. Now, do you see them? What's going on here in the United States? Because a lot of people seem to have this knee-jerk reaction that they think that the government wants to disarm us over here. Uh, but the way I see it, that I think they like selling us guns. I think they enjoy selling guns. They enjoy selling bullets. Now, but do you think that they want to push us to a point here in the United States where we're having little militias going back and forth uh, fighting amongst ourselves as well? Or, or do you see a, do you see a gun grab where they're going to have gun control take away our guns? Well, now I, I, I you know, I, I talk about my conversion on, on on gun control because when I first went into Congress, I was under the spell of um, uh, uh, Chuck Schumer, and um, you know, sort of knee jerk without providing any. Uh, critical analysis for myself of what was actually happening. I um, uh, was a gun control person because that was, you know, sort of the Democratic Party position. Sure. But then when Hurricane Katrina happened, um, and I saw the stripping of people who were fleeing catastrophic conditions got stripped of their second amendment rights. Now there was no um, reason to do so, but this happened. And I said, uh, 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 you don't give up your rights to seek uh, safety. And uh, so I changed my mind. And as a result of that, uh, I've begun to view the um, antics, really, of Chuck Schumer and, and Dianne Feinstein in an entirely different light. So I think that right now the, United, the people of the United States, as well as the international community, are at a stage of the clear and present danger and the clear and present danger is the government of the United States. Yeah. It's completely flipped. There was a time when, particularly as a black American, during the 1950s and 1960s, we looked to the federal government for as a source of security for the enforcement of civil rights laws and, uh, you know, with the Earl Warren um, um, 
sort of forced uh, integration, the Brown versus Board of Education decision, that there was a possibility of a new United States of America that that could be created where everyone was a first-class citizen. But that is not the case today. And in fact, what has happened is that everyone now is has the possibility of becoming a second-class citizen just dropped into sort of the race to the bottom, which was a global phenomenon associated with what the uh, Democrats and the Republicans told us was free trade. And um, the race to the bottom now has is being experienced by people inside the United States. And that was not part of the propaganda. That was not supposed to happen. But that is exactly what has happened. And that was, I believe, the objective all along. But, but let me remind you of my question. My question is, uh, do you feel that the, the federal government and the 1% are really attempting a gun grab here in the United States to take away people's guns? Or do you think maybe they, they put a little fear into us now and again so that people run out and buy more guns? Well, Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um. Just let me ask you a question. Yeah, yeah. If, if we all had guns, Cynthia, if we if we had guns, 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 you know, a, a stockpile of guns, every one of us, they've got drones, they've got air power, they got tanks now. Every police department has a bunch of tanks. There's there's no and, and plus two, I think there's a thing too, where they they set this thing in our minds, saying that in the future there's going to be this gun grab, there's going to be door to door confiscation of guns, there's going to be in the future there's going to be FEMA camps. And it kind of makes us say, sit back and say, well, okay, I'm going to prepare and I'm going to stockpile my guns. I'm going to wait for that to happen when we should be what we're under right now should be intolerable to every single one of us. And we should be standing up and resisting right now, not waiting for some future martial law or some future gun grab right now is intolerable. Right now, you're absolutely right about that. And then, um, you know. I've had I've long time been a student of the counterintelligence program, and I encourage everyone in your audience to um, read the COINTELPRO papers, read them in their entirety, and then after you read the COINTELPRO papers, I would encourage the audience to visit the Frank Church committee reports. Now that is way more voluminous you're talking literally thousands of pages but it's well worth a weekend you know you'd have to spend all day 
for every day of the weekend, but you could you could at least peruse quite a few of those pages. And I I would hope that people would do that. Um, look up church committee reports. Well, let me ask you a question. Those church committee, uh, a lot of that stuff was televised and videotaped. Do they have a package of videos or CDs you can pick up now? Well, you know, I, that's a very interesting point. I have not checked on YouTube, but they very well could be on YouTube. And so that's something that would certainly make it go a lot faster. And here's the point. The point is that while Senator Church characterized the activities of both the FBI and the CIA as illegal and un-American, what the Church Committee found was that the CIA was operating inside the United States. Sure. Journalists, publishers, media houses, uh, pastors, university professors were all on the CIA payroll. This is inside the United States. So the CIA was illegally operating inside the United States. The FBI was breaking into people's homes. It was disrupting people's marriages. But now here's the thing. In that founding COINTELPRO document, it said to misdirect, discredit, and otherwise neutralize. Now, in that document, they were talking about black leaders. So they were talking about leaders like Stokely Carmichael, who later became known as Kwame Touré, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X. These are the people that um, they were talking about. And uh, in the COINTELPRO page, in that founding document, it said to misdirect. Now, in order to misdirect, there has to also be some direction. And an interesting study would be on the uses of the, what we, we call like the Ku Klux Klan. Because what the FBI, if you look at many of the acts of terrorism against the black community, inside the United States, there was always someone on the FBI payroll involved in those acts. If we look at the murder of Viola Liuzzo, which was the first white woman who was killed because of her voter registration activities in Alabama, it could be that the person who actually pulled the trigger in killing her because she was riding in a vehicle in a car with a black man uh, was the FBI informant himself. We know that the FBI informant was in the truck. Whether or not he was the one that actually pulled the, t the trigger, we don't know. But the fact that we don't know tells me that it probably was. Yeah. The bombing of the Birmingham, Alabama church uh, where the four black girls were murdered. FBI informant there. So if we look at the misdirection that the FBI was talking about, the FBI used these uh, people who had this anti-black sentiment to further another purpose. And 
um, that is one of the reasons why it took so long for these people to be prosecuted 30, 40, 50 years later. You're still looking at trying to prosecute people because the web of FBI informants was deep inside of that. So, <clears throat> so I think that if we take the lessons of yesterday and then apply them to today, what does that mean when Janet Napolitano tells me that I should be afraid of the militia? What does that mean? I'm not afraid of the militia because I think that every person who's a United States citizen ought to be able to talk to each other. It's exactly the same template that was used, is currently being used against the people of Colombia. Okay, Joe, well, let me interrupt you for one second because I have some news for you that, that I've been working on all week long. Uh, are you familiar with this story about these Las Vegas Walmart shooters uh, here in Las Vegas that shot two police officers uh, last Sunday? I'm, I, I'm only familiar with the headline, not the details of the story. Very interesting story because uh, I'm in touch with firsthand witnesses in this case. And we've been trying to get this story out on John B. Wells' Caravan to Midnight as well as on my show here. And we've had so much audio interference that you would not believe. Uh, so let me get it out real quick while I got you on the air. A um, couple of interesting things. We found out that these two shooters, the Millers, uh, were informants. They were police informants who gave uh, witness statements to the police here at least on two occasions here in Las Vegas. Now, before they came out here to Las Vegas to, to uh, work on a campaign of a, a sort of a, a right-wing kind of a guy, they were involved in Occupy Wall Street, and they were involved in a Million Mask March, two sort of leftist protest and they, they even worked on the obama campaign then they come out here to las vegas to work for a right-wing uh, uh politician who's running for governor sort of a, a fringe candidate now while they were out here they go up to bundy ranch you know that whole bundy ranch standoff thing that was big in the news there a while back yes it turns out that this man jared miller was the source of the rumor at Bundy Ranch that there were drones and that the federal government was planning a drone attack. And he text messages back here to Las Vegas to a friend of his who's running for assembly out here and says, we need you guys up here because there's drones. We're under attack. The federal government is dropping paratroopers down on us. And that was the first origin of the rumor of drones up at the Bundy Ranch that later on caused the big standoff between the militia and the Oath Keepers where they were pulling guns on each other. So very interesting. Then we have this situation where suddenly these two guys, these police informants, uh, who were both on the left and the right, uh, seem to be informing on everybody, uh, suddenly are involved in, in shooting two police officers at a CC pizzeria and then running across the street and, and getting shot down. And where, where we have that the police lie in their uh, press conference and say that the woman shot the husband when meanwhile they were shot and killed by police. So seems well, to be – yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, okay, uh, those are details that are very interesting, and I believe to the point, whenever you have FBI informants, you have people on the FBI payroll, you have to begin to, 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 to question what is the FBI itself doing, and the Congress is proven itself to be completely, absolutely, totally derelict in its responsibilities of providing oversight. 
these are questions. This is something that should be right now uh, within the bailiwick of the um, uh, governmental operations uh, committee. You could have judiciary committee. Uh, there are many different committees that could be looking into what it is that the FBI, this particular incident, and what the FBI is doing altogether. And if you notice, too, it seems to be that all the emphasis nowadays is on the NSA, the NSA spying and the NSA spying on our computers. And, and they're, they're the big boogeyman when they've been around since the 70s. And you never hear anything anymore about FBI or CIA uh, involvement in, in harassing and, and in surveilling and interfering with the U.S. Uh, um, freedom fighters. Well, I think that there is some manipulation that that is going on and that these groups on the right as well as groups on the left have the potential of being manipulated and so they have to exist so that they can t can continue the manipulation that's the misdirection that the FBI spoke about in its um founding COINTELPRO against the black leadership document. Real quick, because we went a little bit long, let me just read some live commercials here, and then we'll get back, and maybe we can talk about, because I know you wrote a book about uh, Hugo Chavez as well. Yes, I'm doing my uh, dissertation on Hugo Chavez. Okay, very good. Let me just read some live ads here. Um, everybody, one of our sponsors, InfinityHomePlans.com. Check out Infinity Home Plans and Design Services, your resource for 3D and 2D architectural services. They offer a multitude of products, including stock home plans, 2D digital drawing sets, uh, 3D models and renderings, and more. And then remember, Pacific West Bamboo. Uh, you can reach them at their Facebook page, Pacific West Bamboo, at 503-839-8126. Their email address is demroots at com. Now, they're your number one source for timber construction and craft-grade bamboo poles, plants, products. Uh, they specialize in eco-friendly, reclaimed wood products for the home and garden. They're located in Portland, Oregon, and servicing the Northwest for over 10 years, and they, they ship nationwide. And also, too, you really got to go to Facebook and check out their webs, their page on Facebook, Pacific West Bamboo, because they have all kinds of fountains and art projects and just some amazing stuff, wholesale, retail prices. Uh, definitely someone to – and they're a great supporter of the show. So please support uh, Pacific West Bamboo and, again, uh, uh, Mike over at the InfinityHomePlans.com. Okay, and we're here tonight with Cynthia McKinney, the author of – Illegal War on Libya and Ain't Nothing Like Freedom. Both of these books are available on Amazon.com. So now, Cynthia, uh, what else is, would you like to talk about? I, I'd love to hear about because uh, I had so much uh, encouragement over the, the, the Venezuelan revolution and, and the socialist government down there and, and their model. Um, but is there anything else on your heart you'd like to talk about too? Well, um, I think um – one of the things that Hugo Chavez talked about was the strange occurrence of all of the uh, inconvenient Latin American leaders. They were inconvenient to the United States coming down with cancer at the same time. That's right. Um, 
And Chavez talked about that while not making any accusations, but merely just noting the um, the the um, strange coincidence co- coincidences. Yeah. Yeah. And um, when you when you think about that, and he didn't even know apparently about Rene Preval in Haiti. Um, because Rene Preval also makes the, the step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business? Introducing The Godfather at ChapaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered chumpacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The trek to Cuba to get his cancer treatment, too. Right. And um, so this is all very interesting given the academic treatment that I've been able to provide on the topic of targeted assassination, where I looked specifically using the counterintelligence program documents, I looked at um, the American Indian Movement, the Black Panther Party, and the Puerto Rican Independence Movement to establish that uh, when the FBI wrote in that document, that founding COINTELPRO document against what it called black nationalist hate groups, um, it wrote the word neutralization to uh, misdirect, otherwise neutralize. What it meant was to neutralize by any means necessary, which included targeted assassination. So if you go and you look at uh, the work of Ward Churchill. Ward Churchill published two books. One of the books is entitled The COINTELPRO Papers, where he actually takes the physical document and then he provides commentary on that document. So you can see in 1918 where J. Edgar Hoover wrote his first such document, and that was against... Um, Marcus Garvey and lamenting the fact that while Marcus Garvey quote unquote electrified the Negroes he had not committed a crime so what then was the next step for um, the the United States government under J. Edgar Hoover's uh, um, leadership was to fabricate a crime so that they could deport Garvey, which eventually happened. And then you look at uh, the American Indian movement, and there was this practice 
that was common in Cohen in COINTELPRO called bad jacketing, where you would act where the 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 FBI would make it appear that a bright, charismatic, upcoming leader in an organization was actually an informant. They would make it appear that this leader was an informant. And so then, of course, that would arouse suspicion among the other uh, members because they knew that they were being penetrated. They didn't know who it was. And so the FBI would orchestrate the appearance of someone who was promising that would be problematic to them. And then, of course, things would get played out. And that's how people would lose their lives. This is orchestrated, um, uh, orchestrating murder. Well, you know, but you know what? Even short of people losing their lives, you know yourself firsthand when, when you're organizing protests and demonstrations, half your time is spent trying to figure out who the agents are and who can be trusted and who can't be trusted. And even with my stupid little radio show here, half the people that are coming and going, we spend half our time worrying about who's uh, for us or against us. Well, you need to do that. Yeah, I know. Because that is um... – that is, a, there was a study done by David Cunningham, and I invite people, to, you can go on Google Scholar, scholar.google.com, and just put in David Cunningham's name, and what you'll come up with is he's done some, some academic research on the patterns and practices in COINTELPRO by the FBI. He looked specifically at the white left, which was called at that time the new left. So it wasn't Communist Party, but these were basically anti-Vietnam War young white kids. And he looked at what the patterns and practices were of the FBI against them. And what he found was that the FBI, if the FBI found something that was successful, then they would use it over and over and over again. Mm. And it would become a pattern. And one of those things that they found useful was infiltration. So there was always someone that was sent to a group by the FBI to infiltrate informants. They cultivated informants. They disrupted through the informants and the infiltrators. They disrupted the internal um uh, proficiency of that organization. So you do have to pay attention to that. What's the name of that book again? Um, well, Wart Churchill's book, where he looks at all of those documents, is called The COINTELPRO Papers. Now, he did a second book, which is called Agents of Repression. And in that book, he looks specifically at the documents that pertain to the American Indian movement and the Black Panther Party. Then uh, David Cunningham is the one who does the academic treatment of the patterns and practices of the FBI and counterintelligence program. I'm actually trying to get Ward Churchill right now. We're trying to get him on the show. Uh, oh, he's, he's in Atlanta. He's oh. just moved here. Listen, oh. if <laughs> you get him yeah. for me, I'll give you a great big kiss. Listen. Oh, yeah, I'll put you in touch with him. No problem. Because his book about the Red Army faction. 
Now, see, I'm not familiar with that. I've been so focused on COINTELPRO and uh, Agents of Repression that I'm not familiar with that. But, you know, that's a whole, and the the um, stay behind, the, the, the stay, stay behind of the CIA and Operation Gladio, they did, the, they, they blew up train stations and um, supermarkets in Europe, blamed it on the leftists, but paid the right, the, the, the right wingers to carry this out. And they stymied democracy in Europe. Right. So now if they would do this to Europe, you know they have no compunction about doing it here at home. No, I think what they do here at home is 10 times more elaborate. Um, but, but that gets, again, to my point again, do, do you think that they really, their agenda is a gun grab to take away our guns, to pass laws to take away guns? Or do you think they, they want us to be uh, shooting each other like, like they have in the Middle East and in Africa? Well, you cannot rule out. This is one of the things that was made clear by the um, revelations of the church committee. You cannot rule out the fact that whatever they did at home, they, whatever they did abroad, they brought it at home. They brought it home because that was the finding of the church committee that the CIA and the FBI and other intelligence services behaved in a way abroad that later right. was brought home. So you know now, something? Yeah, I, I I hate to interrupt you because like you should see all the messages I'm getting. Everyone says they love you so much, you know. Um, but you know, um, one of my guests, uh, Detective Jim Rothstein, uh, who was involved, he was involved in the Church Committee. And uh, when I talked to him about it, you know, because I had such faith in the Church Committees uh, when I was growing up, I used to watch the hearings on TV, and I thought, oh boy, look at this, we're getting something done, you know, we're 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 winning, you know. And he says, Ed, nah, it was all cover up. It was all for show, and uh, he was bringing over. Do, do you know the story about the Detective Jim Rothstein? No. He's the one who arrested Frank Sturgis when Sturgis was on his way to assassinate Marita Lorenz. Oh, I'm not familiar with that story at all. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a long story to tell now. But I'll but, have to. I'll have to listen to your archives. You just send me which episode and. and and I'll listen to your archives. I will. Thank you very much. I would, that would be honored. Let me tell you something. I'm, I'm, you're, you're a real hero. You're, you, you know, you're, you're a national treasure. Uh, <laughs> no, you really are, Cynthia. You really are. And, and I really appreciate you coming on and sharing with my audience. Um, so, so what do you think, though? Do you have a lot of faith in the, in the church committee hearings? Do you think they really were? Well, um, I or am do. I just cynical? Am I just old and cynical? <laughs> yeah. no, 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 no. Okay. <clears throat> I, I think that the church committee reports didn't go as far as they could have gone. And we understand that, 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 that you know, you had Democrats and Republicans and they had, uh, and, and you had, well, even more than Democrat and Republican, because now we know that's about the same thing. Yeah, now, but yeah. what you had was people who believed that it was a cover, you know, the, people who believed the in keeping the government secrets versus people who wanted, who felt that the government should have no secrets from its people. 
And um, so the balance was struck. And there is important information that is contained in the church committee report. So I wouldn't say, you know, disregard them because they covered up. The church committee reports went so far as to admit that Alan Dulles authorized $100,000 to be expended without prior notification for the murder of Patrice Lumumba, who was the elected prime minister of the uh, of Congo. So um, they uh, talked about the they said, you know, they acknowledged eight assassination attempts against uh, Fidel Castro. Now, of course, we know that there were more, but at least they and, and then they went into great detail about how they uh, gave money. They promised $10,000 and a green card and a scholarship to pay for the man's um, education of his children in, U- in, in U.S. universities. They go into great detail about uh, how little, really, uh, uh, people would charge for the um, murder of a head of state. Yeah, so right. How this, cheap it is. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So this is great. Inf- this is great information. And then, of course, the bringing home of the illegal activities. They 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 chronicle that. And um, so it did provide the kind of of um, information that inquiring minds that really want to provide some oversight and accountability of the United States government is there in the church committee reports. And the question that we that I have asked is where's the Frank Church of today? Of course, yeah. I would be that Frank Church if I were still in the Congress. But with me not being there, who is the Frank Church of today? Well, let me ask a question. We wouldn't have had the Frank Church, the, the Church Committee hearings, without Jimmy Carter, correct? Um, you must have met Jimmy Carter coming from Georgia, right? Yes, I have. So, what do you think? Um, I think he, he he was a he is a good man who um got uh taken into some bad. Uh, I'm I'm gonna let you think about it. Okay, we have a break coming up. Uh, okay, can you hang out after the break when we bring on uh, Cisco uh, Love Street about the? Yes, because I at least want to hear from him. Okay, thank you so much, Cynthia. Thank you. We had Cynthia McKinney, a, an American uh gem, a jewel. Okay, uh, of the Congress. She's the author of Illegal War on Libya, uh, the author of Ain't Nothing Like Freedom. Uh, I can't tell you how much response we're getting for Cynthia McKinney here, former congresswoman, former presidential candidate, uh, soon to be a doctor, uh, and uh, a, a, a national treasure. Be right back after this. Cisco loves uh, Cisco Street Love, author of Yesterday's Shame, the Atlanta Child Murder. Okay, welcome back to the Opperman Report. Every Friday night, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, and uh, simulcast on cjmarsradio.com, 365 Live. Uh, next week, we'll be on spreaker.com. Uh, With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, And also iHeartRadio, hopefully. We're trying to get approved for iHeartRadio. Um, I want to remind everybody that, that FreedomSlips.com, Revolution Radio, is a listener-sponsored station. If you want to hear stuff like this, you know, people, if you want to hear the truth, reality, the, the struggle for social justice, for economic justice, you need to support the station to keep us live on the air. And so you go to freedomslips.com and look for the donate button. Uh, the station's having a lot of trouble this month uh, paying the bills. So we really, really need your help this month. Now, we've been joined uh, by Cisco Streetlove, uh, the author of The Atlanta Child Murders. Uh, Yesterday's Shame, The Atlanta Child Murders. Cisco, are you there? I'm here, sir. Good evening. Hey, God bless you, brother. Hey, listen, I got you on at the same time as Cynthia McKinney, <laughs> okay? So you owe me big time, man, all right? Um, just... You got it. Yeah, it's a pleasure to listen to Miss McKinney. Um, that, that was a great interview, and I want to say as one of her uh, former constituents, she, she was a great congresswoman. Cynthia, are you there? Yep, I'm here. I just had to unmute. Well, real quick, why don't you finish up your thought about Jimmy Carter? Because I always looked up to him, uh, but then again, you had those other issues with him, you know, with uh, Brzezinski and and David Rockefeller. <laughs> you, you can't ignore that stuff. Right. And um, so, you know, I, I think he was a good person who uh, got persuaded in the wrong direction and then tried his darndest to, to clear things up and, um, you know, and paid the price by serving only one term as a result of him trying to redirect the ship of state in a, in a better and a different direction. Right. But um, I'm uh, particularly excited about your guest because I just recently attended an event with Alton Maddox, and Lynn Watley, who was the um, Lynn Watley, was the attorney for Wayne Williams, who is accused of being responsible for the missing and murdered children in Atlanta. And I am so anxious to hear what um, the research is of your guest because I, I never believed that Wayne Williams was uh, the the uh, guilty party. And that it all it went uh, much further along. I was turned on to the Franklin the Franklin scandal exactly, and so understood that you know there could possibly be some there there, and uh, so I, I'm really interested in hearing. Cisco, what do you got to say, man? Tell us your theory. Tell us about your book. Um, 
First, tell us about yourself, Cisco. Tell us about you know uh, your life. What do you do for a living, and what got you interested in this topic? I, sure thing, sir. Um, good evening to everyone. I'm a writer, researcher. Uh, around, I want to say around six years ago, around or, or like between 2005, 2006, because it's like I've been so busy, time has slipped. Um, Lou Graham, he's deceased now, but at the time he was the former police chief. He was the police chief of DeKalb County. And he reopened the investigation of five of the victims whose bodies were found in DeKalb County. And they had a number of news shows. And so I was listening to one show and I just decided, you know, I was going to, you know, do my own research and quite possibly do a book. Um, thanks to some friends, uh, I got in touch with some people who were in the special task force. I did some more research. Uh, I got involved with some other uh, people. Uh, one young woman, she has a website. Uh, another gentleman, he did uh, a documentary. And I interviewed, you know, I interviewed uh, a business partner, Michael Phoebus. And suffice to say that Wayne Williams, he's really not the killer. Um, for those who don't know, the Atlanta child murders took place from July 1979 to I want to say April of 1981. So it was like a two and a half year uh, time period where you had black youngsters would go missing and then they would be found murdered. As the popular story goes, you know, uh, Wayne Williams, he was stopped on the Jackson Parkway Bridge or sometime around April or May of 1981 after there was a loud splash that emanated from the bridge, alerted the authorities, he was brought into interrogation. Uh, the interrogation made its way to the press. Uh, shortly thereafter, it was like the vultures circled. He was arrested, indicted, and in a very swift time, convicted. So by February of 1982, he was basically condemned for life as the Atlanta child killer. And I was even corrected early on in my research by an individual in law enforcement. He basically informed me, he basically said, look, uh, as far as you're concerned, Atlanta, Wayne Williams, he's not the Atlanta child killer. He was arrested for the murders of two adults, and those are still considered cold cases. Do you think he was involved in and, any of the murders at all, or just a uh, total patsy? He is a total patsy. Okay. The, 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 the one thing about the two murders, uh, the two individuals that he's, convicted of killing one of them 
he they do not know how he died. They okay. do not know how this man died. Um, what it boiled down to, Mr. Opperman, is that it was a sex ring that was liquidated once a certain person's administration was leaving office. Mayor Jackson, he... Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, Mayor Jackson, he was leaving office. He served his two terms, and at the time, you can only serve uh, two consecutive terms as mayor of Atlanta. And while he was leaving office in his last couple years, these killings began. There's even a sordid story with the first two victims, uh, Edward Hope Smith and Alfred Evans. Now, Wayne Williams, he's clearly not involved in their, their deaths. One was shot in the back. And there, there has been for years talk that they had attended a pot party and these were minors. They were youngsters. Uh, words were exchanged. One allegedly strangled the other. And because they were from two different camps, in retaliation for the one being strangled to death, the other one was shot in the back. And their bodies were found in close proximity to each other. Uh, but in all of these cases... Articles of clothing are missing from most, if not all, of the victims. Wayne Williams, he's really not a prime suspect at, at all in any of these murders. When you hear about these killings, you will hear people say that, you know, well, there are a lot of unusual ties with all the victims. And, you know, it, there were ties because they were all part of a sex ring. Okay. Uh, Ed? Yeah. May I uh, jump in here and ask Cisco a question? Yeah, sure. Yeah, come on. Okay. Cisco, you mentioned um, Maynard Jackson being the mayor at the time. Uh, yes, what, what exactly does Maynard Jackson's mayorship have to do with the fact of the missing and murdered children? Well, ma'am, uh, all I can tell you is that someone's in his administration were sleeping with these kids. Okay. That's what I... <laughs> That, that that's exactly what I uh, I, I wanted. Uh, you know, uh, Cisco, you and I need to talk off 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 the air because I have uh, some information that um, would lend some credence to that. That is very very interesting. Okay, proceed, please. Sure, you, you you've got it, ma'am. Um, the sex ring, okay? Yeah. 
when you look at these murders from 79 to 80, the victims are basically preteen teenagers. But when you get to late 80, going into 81, they are teenagers and they're like they're basically in their 20s. And one of the things is that the, I'm trying to say this as delicately as possible. Okay, don't worry about it. The, the way that the sex ring is organized is organized parallel to how narcotics trafficking is. You have older kids and adults that are used to lure in, procure younger kids. Now, this sex ring was using some of the older kids to procure the younger kids. And then when the major players wanted to liquidate the ring, they got rid of the older kids' procures as well. So you're saying that the, la the latter victims were the ones who were procuring the, the, the original victims? Yes, sir. And they were killed later on to cover up what was going on. That makes sense. Right. Okay. And there were, like, two, I, I pointed out two concentric sex rings. Just like when you hear about in narcotics trafficking, how you'll have one drug, drug ring, then you'll have another drug ring, and, you know, the two drug rings are actually, like, independent because they're in certain parts of town, but in reality, they have the same supplier. That's a similar scenario with what was going on with this sex ring. Um, uh, in one camp, oh yeah, yes ma'am. No, no, go ahead and, and, and explain what your statement was and then come back to me. Sure, you got it ma'am. Now, there were two distinct camps that I can think of. One camp was predominantly white. That was with the Sanders clan, who, what you what you hear about, uh, Charles Sanders, his his father, other brothers, they were part of a sex ring that included John David Wilcoxon, Francis A. Hardy, and Lionel St. Louis. The other ring, and this is what you were taught, this is what you've been researching yourself, was closely affiliated with the, the, the Church of the Process. Process Church of the Final Judgment. Right, yes, sir. Which is a satanic cult. That ring, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, which is a sad, sad My audience is very familiar with the Process Church, but just anybody who's brand new coming in, uh, the Process Church of the Final Judgment is a satanic cult. They were involved in a ton of stuff: uh, Son of Sam uh, murders, uh, Atlanta child murders, I believe. Uh, Charles Manson, an, an incredible uh, array of uh, crimes and uh, and murders and all kinds of stuff. Yes, sir. Continue, please. Yes, sir. 
the this ring included an individual named Parnell Tramp. He was a black male. His ex-girlfriend was also part of this ring, Shirley McGill. They came up from Miami, and they are linked with three other individuals who resided in these two homes in Gray, on Gray Street. Uh, the homes are not there any longer. The, the, the area's been basically remodeled. Um, for those who don't know, if you look at the Georgia Dome, it it lies like basically some ways away from the back of the Georgia Dome. But at one time there were you know a housing project, communities, and you had these two houses. One was an underscript, you know, inner city bungalow style house. But five twenty two Gray Street was a very distinct dilapidated shack. That's where Tom Tell resided. He was the he was a sixty three year old. He had a, a street name known as Uncle Tom and he was a, a, a major, major child molester, narcotics trafficker, you know, all around near do well. And did he have any convictions for this, or this is just allegations uh, yeah, he, from the street? No, he had four prior sex offenses. Gotcha. He had four prior sex offenses, and toward the end of the Atlanta child murders case, he was institutionalized. He resided with a younger man, 34-year-old Larry Marshall. Uh, between the two of them... At least 10 of the victims going into uh, March of 1981, at least 10 of the victims, including Joseph Bell, uh, Timothy Hill, Patrick Baltazar, had been at the Gray Street addresses. Oh, really? Yes, sir. Now, wasn't there a connection to those addresses, too, with the group NAMBLA? Now, see, I didn't get into NAMBLA, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, they would have been linked to NAMBLA. Uh, one of the things with uh, Terrell and uh, Marshall, they were both pedophiles, and uh, they, me and some other researchers, we uncovered, and, and of course, the law, uh, I will be remiss if I didn't mention the list, uh, the late. Chet Dillinger and Jeff Prue wrote. Uh, there were rings, volumes of child pornography that included pictures of several of the victims. And while it was being bagged and tagged, it, it disappeared while, you know, Tom Terrell was indicted. So the, the evidence disappeared from police evidence locker? Yes, sir. Okay. S Cisco. Yes, ma'am. Um, did this have any connection? You, you've painted very clearly the Atlanta connection. Did this, yes, did this have any connection uh, in Washington, D.C. as well? 
In my opinion, with the Freeway Phantom case, yes, it did. And that's with with the which case? The Freeway Phantom case took place between 1971 and 72, and you had uh, several black girls and quite possibly one white girl that were murdered by a mysterious killer. Okay. And how is that connected to D.C.? If you, I, it was one of the the selling parts of my book. Um, If you look at the variables between uh, the Atlanta child murders, the Freeway Phantom case, and the Oakland County child killings, if you study a semblance of mythology, there's a certain uh, diagram between the three cities, and there's a certain legend to all three areas, what the three areas represent. Well, describe that, then. What is that? The Oakland, okay, the, 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 the murders from 71 to 72 are black girls. The murders between 76 and 77 are white girls, white boys. The murders in 79 and 81 are of black children. It, it has to do with Asia Minor, and D.C. represents ancient Greece. One of the recurring themes of the Greek mythology was controlling women. Uh, Medusa, Cassiopeia, Andromeda, the Amazons. Now, when you're talking about Michigan, Detroit, by and large, represents, and the whole state of Michigan represents the Roman Empire. And a lot of the industry that we have, a lot of modern industry emanates from what was done in Michigan suburbs, the automobile manufacturers, uh, a lot of the grocery discount chains, you name it, a lot of it comes from Michigan. And the Atlanta child murders represents the legends of ancient Egypt. Uh, For those who weren't around at the time, you know, Atlanta literally was viewed as Atlantis. It was a brand new city. It It was the second generation of major American cities. You had, you know, the classic big cities in the Northeast, Midwest. Well, by the time the 60s came, you had a second generation of major American cities, Atlanta, Miami, Seattle, Portland, Denver, Phoenix, in addition to Houston, that were, you know, emerging as national symbols. And the thing with the child murders is one of the early warning signs that it was related to what you you said the the Church of the Final Process. I forget the name. If if I jumbled it, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. The the Process Church of the Final Judgment. Final Judgment. Yeah, right. I mix it up too all the time. 
<laughs> Roy Ingus. Okay. He was a civil rights activist. He was he is in New York City. He ran CORE, the Congress of Racial Equality. He came down to Atlanta. He actually got in contact with Shirley McGill. He got in contact with her, with Jim Evans. Uh, he had a talk with the FBI officials. And he was basically saying what, what, what is happening in Atlanta, it has to do with ritual killings. And they had the same thing in New York City. And they chose to ignore him. Now, uh, with the researchers, another member that I, I suspect was part of the Gray Street Gang. In, in the media, he was presented as Jerry Thorpe. But in the list, he's quite possibly Frankie Mealy. And the difference is that in the media, in on television, Jerry Thornton, he looked like a, a, a regular heterosexual man. But according to the list, he acknowledged sleeping with Timothy Hill. And for those who don't know, Timothy Hill, uh, he was a 13-year-old boy. He was considered a wayward kid. He, uh, according to the authorities and a number of witnesses, his last known appearance was around Gray Street. He spent like a weekend from Wednesday night to Sunday sleeping with Frankie Mealy, Slash, Jerry Thornton, uh, Larry Marshall, Tom Carroll. And then he was gone. Now, another uh, component of my research that I want uh, a lot of people to look at when it comes to the Atlanta child murders. There was a schism between the city of Atlanta and the special task force in DeKalb County. Um, a lot of the information came out because of that schism. Uh, DeKalb County at the time was predominantly white. The chief of public safety, if not the chief of police, was a man named Dick Hand. Uh, Patrick Baltazar, he is one of the official victims in the Atlanta child murders. His body was deposited at this office park complex off of I-85, 285, in DeKalb County. Dick Hand did the investigation. That's where a lot of the information was divulged to the public. So, you know, in a funny way, a lot of the racist, racial conflict between his force in DeKalb County and the Special Task Force in Atlanta helped to unveil the truth. Cisco. Yes, ma'am. Um, I have maintained that Sidney Dorsey is not guilty and languishes in prison as an innocent man. 
Did you look at any um, at the uh, um, situation of Sidney Dorsey, who was the he was on mm-hmm. the task force and later became yes, sheriff yes. of DeKalb County? Um, believe it or not, I was uh, close to that investigation uh, some years back. Uh, there's a whole, man, there's a whole nother story to that, what happened. Okay. Then you and I are definitely going to have to talk. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yeah. There, there's a whole nother story to, 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 to what what that's all about. I will say this, the Cab County uh is a major hub of where most of the victims were last held and quite possibly murdered. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your four oh one K and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Uh, there was even one victim who was found dead in Rockdale County. To get from Rockdale to Atlanta, you have to go to the Cab County. So where the prime movers of the sex ring operated, it was around the Cab County. Now, when you were talking about D.C. I'm sorry, you broke up. Yes, ma'am. Oh, no. When you were talking about D.C., Yes. Um, when you were talking, I think um, what you were alluding to was Craig Spence and the, the sex ring surrounding him that was part of the Franklin cover-up. Yes. Uh, one of the things is, yeah, I do think that that ring stepped in. And this process <laughs> wherein the Atlanta child murders were enacted was to partially cover up for the growth of that ring. Because one of the things about Atlanta, Atlanta gains its money from tourism, the hospitality trade. And Atlanta is, um, has been since the 60s a major hub for sex trafficking. So it makes millions, if not billions of dollars in prostitution of all kinds. And while the police were looking at the Atlanta child murders investigation, Lawrence King and his operation, along with Craig Spence, with Boys Town, that really grew. And so the Atlanta murders acted as a great cover for King and Spence, their operation to really flourish. 
Let me ask you a question. Lawrence King came out of Atlanta. I heard that he came from Dallas. Okay, I, I wasn't but sure. But he okay. probably he he cut. He looks like Maynard Jackson. And you know, I was like, wow, they could be cousins. <laughs> but yeah, he from what I what I what I heard, he came from Dallas. By the way, Jackson's people came from Texas too. I think the Dallas area. Okay. And, yeah, another part of the Atlanta child murders that's very peculiar involves uh, Richard Hart and Captain Pegs. We're not talking about one franchise of Captain Pegs seafood. We're talking about one restaurant. And at this one restaurant, Several of the Atlanta child murder victims frequented and wound up murdered. And even after Wayne Williams was arrested, incarcerated, convicted, there were like two, three more workers at Captain Pegg's that wound up murdered. Richard Hart and some other black businessmen have been linked to the pedophile ring that the Atlanta child murders was a part of. Now, was Wayne Williams, is is he aware of this pedophile ring? Was he part of it? Does he talk about it? Yeah, yeah. He does. In my opinion, Wayne Williams deserves a retrial. He is clearly not the killer. What what it looks like, and, and I want people to, you know, when you do your research, one of the things that was big was music, okay? Atlanta was a major hub for R&B. Wayne Williams, he was a budding businessman. He wanted to get into music, and so he was trying to find a group. What he tried to do was... When he had the group Gemini, he literally tried to do something akin to what you see in the Fisher Safe Pittsburgh. He tried to get kids that were all Gemini to be on the same page and make, you know, them a household name. Because at the time you had the Jacksons, you had the Silvers and R and B, you had a lot of family hacks. And he was one of the guys that early on he wanted to it looks like he wanted to break up, you know, those family acts and, and, and have guys that technically they weren't related, but they were on the same page. Now, some of his backers, the people that fronted him money, that fronted his father money, were part of the sex ring. Ah. And he could have been, him and his father... They could have been some of the photographers. But as far as the killers go, no, he he's not the killer. Wayne Williams was only 22 at the time. He was basically a kid. And you have to remember, at this time, so many decades ago, by 1980, the word had gotten out that five kids were murdered. Wayne Williams was not a rich man. So the kids were suspicious 
1980, everyone in Metro Atlanta was suspicious of who was around their kid, who was around their children. So what I'm saying to you in so many words is that the prime culprits who pulled off these murders, they were men of substance. They were men of means. It's just like, I'm going to give people an example, the Oakland County child killings. A looming specter of those murders has to do with around 1976, a nationwide pedophile ring was busted up. The ring included one suspect who changed his name to Adam Starchild. He was in New Jersey. They had guys in the South, but in Michigan, there was a multimillionaire named Francis Sheldon, who was a pilot, and he owned private property on North Fox Island. He was flying boys into his island retreat. And when the ring was uncovered by the authorities, he hightailed it to Europe, and he basically died in 1996, a fugitive from justice. One of the photographers of that ring was Christopher Brian Bush. Christopher Bush, he emerged as a suspect during the Oakland County child killings. And the word got out that, you know, he had been molesting several boys and his parents. His father was an executive, and I think it was GM, if not Ford, uh, H. Lee Bush. His parents were driving around paying kids off hush money so that they wouldn't go to the authorities and prosecute their son. Christopher Brian Bush was allegedly found dead of an apparent suicide, I want to say around 77, 78. And the special task force around the Oakland, child, Oakland County child killings closed with his apparent demise. Now, what is interesting is that the surviving members of the overall Bush family. I think he had three brothers, and it was like only one was still alive uh, over the past 20 years. The last brother, surviving brother, the mother and father, they retired to Connecticut. Michael Thevis, he was a major pornographer from Atlanta. He uh, is the basis of Sharky's Machine. He fronted the money. He basically helped produce Oliver Stone's first feature film, Seizure. When he turned himself into the authorities after two murders in the late 70s, he surrendered in Connecticut. Larry Marshall... Larry Marshall, he was one of the guys in the Gray Street wing of the sex ring. He fled when someone threatened his life. He fled 
north. Not to Philadelphia, not to New York City, to Hartford. Hmm. And then so many years later, you have Ed Kramer, the co-founder, if not the founder, of Dragon Con, a major convention in Atlanta. He, too, is a major pedophile. Was he convicted? Do you know they basically gave him a slap on the wrist? Okay. He settled up in Hartford. They gave this guy stipulations. I mean, Ed Kramer, they gave him basically a pat on the wrist, and they gave him a stipulation that he was not supposed to be in the company, unattended company of any minor 17 or older. He still couldn't abide by that. So you have all these people in these seemingly disparate cases that they're running to Connecticut, Hartford, and all points around the state. What I surmised um, is that you have pederasty. Pederasty is an ancient practice of boys having, I'm sorry, men of means, men of means, having sex with boys as well as with women. And you've had... What's the term, Cisco? uh, Pederasty. Oh, P-E-D-E-R-A-S-T-Y? Yes, ma'am. Okay. And that is one of the things that was basically, that has been historically addressed in Western civilization. So you've had, you know, for the past couple, if not a few centuries, the sex rings that have cropped up and they have placated the perverted sexual means of millionaires, lawyers, doctors, businessmen who are in, you know, certain circles. Uh, Cisco. Yes, ma'am. Um, I have two questions for you. One, there was a state senator by the name of Hildred Shoemake. Uh-huh. And um, he was very close to my father. Uh, while they both were serving in the Georgia legislature. And Shoemaker uh-huh. used to tell the story all the time about the, um, he, basically the down low phenomenon before it was actually called down low, before that, you know, there was a name for it, for the politically influential black political class in the city of Atlanta that were basically uh, gay men who were married to lesbian women. Yes, ma'am. So my first question is um, specifically about Hildred Shoemake. If you ran across his name in, in the course of your research, or if not the name the phenomenon uh, that he uh, he always talked about it and always threatened to write a book 
and um, then he died. So, you know, we never got the benefit of his knowledge in that area. Um, the second thing question I have pertains to a gentleman in Europe whose name I cannot remember, but he was an Italian politician who was granted the opportunity to become the president of the European Union. And he turned it down, which is like unprecedented. And he said, it's nothing but a bunch of pedophiles. So I'm wondering if you're familiar with the name of this Italian uh, politician, because I've been trying to remember it for years now, and I just can't, I, I can't remember his name. So the two questions, one about Hildreth Shoemake and the gay men and the lesbian women among the city of Atlanta political class, and then uh, the European, mm -hmm. the Italian politician. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I guess I'll I'll get to you know the latter question first. I have not come across that, but I'm not surprised. Um, these pedophiles, they're very rich men. They're they're they're, they're men of means uh, in in the Western Hemisphere, like you said, the EU as well as the United States, Canada, Mexico, and you know they rely on the the the, the little so-called guys in society to get these kids, to, to get their victims. Now, as far as Hildred Shumate, I have not heard of him, but his legacy. There are a number of people in the hospitality trade that basically passed on this knowledge. There are a number of former police officers that... You know, it was old news to them that, you know, these guys, they had a, a nightclub on Ashby Street where they used to get down with these minors as well as some transvestites. Oh, my goodness. One of my contacts told me about that. Yes, ma'am. Let me ask you this, both of you. It, it just seems like whenever you have these pedophiles, these pederasts, either in the Catholic Church or in politics – it seems like more than just uh, uh, the satisfaction of sexual urges because they're having an extraordinary amount of sex with an extraordinary high number of victims, like much more than the average heterosexual would have sex even on a daily basis just in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. it, it's extreme. And so it has to be something more than just the satisfaction of sexual urges, no? They, do they gain some kind of power from this or some kind of – is it blackmail? What, what is going on? For starters, sir, you hit the nail on the head. It's about power. Right. Uh, one of the things in our civilization is you have people that are in business, for example. They feel like they have to be cold-hearted, okay? So in order for them to be cold-hearted, they feel like in order to, you know, really flex on people, I have to like molest the most innocent of human beings' children. 
and then I have to really show my bona fides by sticking it to little boys. So that that's one reason why this stuff flourishes. Yet another reason why, in addition to pederasty, it has to do with covert operations. As you always hear, sex is a weapon. A lot of these sex rings were enacted by and large so they can blackmail other enemy agents. You can imagine at this time, at the height of the Cold War, you know, them finding some Soviet agents with a little boy. And they're like, you know, well, well, we got you. And if you don't tell us what we want you to tell us, we're going to tell everything to the boys, you know, in the Iron Curtain. And this also played a part with the mafia. The mafia, they... To make a long story short, the mafia is... is linked at the hip with the Catholic Church. And they have flourished with the sex rings. They're willing they were willing to share the drug trade with blacks across the country, but you know, it was like hands off with the pedophilia. When you're talking about pornography in the mob, a lot of the pornography was indeed child pornography. You can imagine if you had, like, three mobsters uh, in any major city, you can imagine. You know, you have the district attorney. He's going, aha, I've got these goombas, and I'm going to flex on them. I'm going to make them an example. They're not going to run in this town. Well, this prosecutor, when he wakes up a couple of days afterward, he gets, you know, a note FedEx to him. He opens it up. They have pictures of him with kids. They have his address where he ordered child porn. So, you know, they were like, you know, if you ever, you know, say anything about our activities, we'll expose you for the pervert that you really are. There's a, a joke in Metro Atlanta of the old show To Catch a Predator. There's a, it, it's so rampant in Atlanta, people have always joked that, you know, if they really wanted to do that show right, all they had to do was go to the airport. Right. So, you know, and, and what Ms. McKinney is saying with the, so-called black elite, yes, a, a, a lot of these men in Metro Atlanta were gay. Uh, it was the end thing to do. And, you know, they were sleeping with kids. In fact, uh, if memory serves me right, Eddie Bubba Duncan, he was one of the murder victims. Uh, when the police investigated his killing, he lived in Techwood. They found that he had a key. And the key was to an apartment that was frequented by people in Manor Jackson's administration. Oh, really? Yes. Yes, sir. And when you're talking about Wayne Williams, he was like a child prodigy. He was a, a, a technical whiz. He, 
he was drafted into a CIA program. Right. Now, the, the, Wayne Williams was asked on TV if he was a CIA agent, and he, he didn't deny it. Right, and, and, and they, they, they didn't deny it. That's the key. They didn't deny it. One of the things about, you know, his handlers, one handler was in the Carter administration, Gerald Rafshoon. Another handler was a man named Michael Green. Michael Green, he was in the Air Force. He was Wayne Williams' handler, and he, in the 90s, in the 1990s, I believe it was, he was convicted of murder uh, in another part of the state. He killed this woman for some drug dealers. And when he got away, or he tried to fly away, they found her body in a toolbox, you know, in the airplane. But yeah, when you come across these investigations, uh, the CIA, it never fails. The CIA always comes up far more than the FBI. Right, because they were involved in the finders. Let me interrupt you one second, my friend, Cisco. Uh, the show is about to end, okay? We're, it's going to end at 7 p.m. Pacific time, and we're going to lose uh, Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com. But the after show will continue live. You can tune in to CJMarsRadio.com. That's CJMarsRadio.com. And you can listen. We're going to keep going. I'm going to keep Cisco on all night long. And Cynthia McKinney, we're going to pump her up with coffee and keep her on as long as we can, too, okay? So, but real quick, let me just read these ads real fast. Pacific West Bamboo, 503-839-8126. You can find their website on Facebook. And the other one is uh, uh, infinityhomeplans.com. Uh, that's Mike Gray. He's a great guy. He's also another sponsor, and he might be calling in later, too. Uh, we also have another friend of mine, Jocelyn, who's done a lot of investigations down in that area, too, in Atlanta. She's the one that told me about Nambla. Uh, but continue on. We've got a couple of minutes left. We're with Cynthia McKinney, the former congresswoman and presidential candidate, and Cisco Lovestreet, a fascinating guy with a ton of information, the author of um, Yesterday's Shame. Yesterday Shame, the Atlanta Child Murders on, uh, on uh, Amazon.com. And his, his book is available, too. There's a link to his book on my website, The Opperman Report. Um, and this will all be on our website to our, our blog uh, on YouTube, uh, the Opperman Report uh, YouTube channel. So, but continue because we're going to lose the freedom slips in a few minutes. Go ahead. Sure thing. Uh, uh, a number. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, another problem with this case has to do with the insertion of George Herbert Walker Bush. Okay, guys, we're, we're going to say goodbye to freedomslips.com, but don't forget it's a listener-sponsored station. If you want to keep the station going, you got to visit freedomslips.com and click on the Donate button. 